This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends. Welcome back. Today I'll continue this series of episodes called Foundations. This will be the third in the series. And these are foundational understandings that the Lord has put in my life, especially in my early years as a follower of Jesus. And I very often refer to them, stand on them, push off of them spiritually. I depend on these foundational understandings to keep me steady spiritually, keep me in the right place. Over the years, I've listened to quite a few teachers, for instance, Elizabeth Elliot or David Pawson, and I've found that they will continually return to certain themes, uh, certain messages or topics, because that is what the Lord has taught them, and that is their offer to the body of Christ, those specific things that are deeply learned. And so, as I talk about foundations, I find myself repeating what those things are. They come up often in these podcast episodes. They come up very often when I'm teaching or preaching or sharing with somebody one-on-one. So I know I'm repeating myself, but it's always good to come back to these things. And I encourage you to really consider, if you haven't, what are the foundational understandings that the Lord has set deeply in your spirit And as you recognize those things, keep your eyes out for who the Lord would bring alongside you, because he knows that you have something good to share, and he'll move in people to set them close to you so you can share that with them. And also, conversely, look who's beside you and listen to them, because the Lord may bring somebody to you that has a message that he's been teaching them, and that message is also for you. Seek out people that you trust in the Spirit and ask them, what has the Lord been saying to you? How do you navigate through situations like this? And then listen. Listen for what the Lord is saying as that person shares what's deeply on their heart. However, before I get more deeply into this topic of foundations, I want to double down on something I mentioned in the last episode. And I mentioned a company that apparently thinks they have a niche to sell updated laundry soaps. In the last episode, I mentioned that one of their selling points is that they said we should move into, quote, an unparalleled laundry experience, unquote. Well, I guess they're targeting me now because I've been fed a few other advertisements by that same company, and I just thought I'd share with you what has been raining down on me recently. I got an ad. And the headline says, Masterfully Crafted Laundry Pods. Yep, and it's in a pretty fancy box. This time it's not a black box. It's a deep red, sort of a burgundy box full of, well, full of masterfully crafted laundry pods. (laughs) There they are. Uh, And then the little blurb that they have. And again, I didn't click through because I don't really want to give them clicks. But it says, Upgrade Your Laundry Routine with a signature package of these versatile performance laundry pods. (laughs) 
So that's one thing. And then I got another ad just today, just before I started recording. Same picture. It's these laundry pods. And the headline says, Unleash the Power of Performance Laundry Pods. And then the text here says, Immerse yourself in the epitome of laundry sophistication with a laundry sauce signature package. (laughs) Performance laundry pods with five times the cleaning power. Oh, and then on the box, as you open this box of these, I don't know, sophisticated laundry pods, this soap, it says, smell good, look good, feel good. And I just think that is the perfect appeal in sales. We want to smell good, we want to look good, and we want to feel good. And this is the way to do it. Actually, we can immerse ourselves in the epitome of laundry sophistication. This made me think about something that I've mentioned before in conversations. I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast. Back in the old days, many, many, many years ago, in previous eras of human existence, the most talented people were involved in painting or composing music or writing books and studying and sharing knowledge. Now, in our age, it seems to me that the most talented people in our culture are primarily involved in advertising. And I think it's too bad. Uh, It's just really too bad that all of this creative energy is going into the manipulation of human desire. That is a definition of advertising that David Pawson gave, and it's stuck with me. Advertising is, in large part, the science, the art of manipulating human desire. And it's well worth saying that Jesus doesn't manipulate human beings. He's not interested in manipulating human desire. It's quite the opposite. He seems to have been pretty bad at branding, Uh, For instance, when he had a lot of people following him, he would say things and a lot of people would leave. They wouldn't follow him because he said things that were hard. True, but hard to understand. And if you're interested to hear a little bit more about marketing in the church and marketing as it relates to the ministry of Jesus, you can go back and listen to episode number 71. It's something that comes up quite a bit, how worldliness gets into the church And that is true in all cultures that I've visited. The worldliness of different cultures looks different. And so it looks different as the church expresses worldly philosophies. One reason that I point out this advertisement for an unparalleled laundry experience is to shine a spotlight on how shallow the culture is, this advertising culture, how easy it is to see through this appeal to self. Also, I want to encourage you to avoid that kind of thinking. We need to be aware of it, not be manipulated by that. All right, so now, before I talk about my personal foundations, I want to look again at what the Bible says about foundations. If you're listening to this episode immediately following the previous episode on foundations, this will be a little repetitive, but I do want to cover the same ground again. The Bible uses a variety of word pictures, a variety of metaphors that describe the character of Jesus and how the Lord relates to his people. One of these metaphors is a vine and branches. Another metaphor is living water. 
Another metaphor is bread of life. And each of those things somehow involves the flow of life, the giving of life, the vine and branches, the flow of life from the vine through the branches to bear fruit, living water, this water that is alive and refreshing and it's flowing, the flow of life, and the bread of life, a life-giving meal or sustenance for the Spirit. And the Lord uses a metaphor to describe himself and how he relates to his people as a rock, which at first doesn't seem to speak of life because we can think of rocks as being cold and dead and hard. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes, as he quotes Isaiah chapter 28, starting in verse 4 of 1 Peter chapter 2, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. There Peter quotes from the Old Testament, And he says that the Lord is a living stone, and we also are like living stones. So we have metaphor and simile. We're being built into a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices. So there are a couple of things that I want to focus on here. Well, one is a little off the topic of stones. However, this verse is quoted here, and I just want to encourage you that anyone who trusts in the Lord will never be put to shame. Anyone who trusts in Jesus will not be put to shame. And to me, this sense of trusting includes, but is not exclusively, a sense of waiting on the Lord. To trust in the Lord is to wait on him sometimes. And so I'll often say to myself, and maybe to others, Anyone who waits on the Lord will never be put to shame. There is no shame in trusting him. There's no shame in waiting on him. Actually, there's great danger, I believe, in running ahead, trusting in yourself, not trusting in him, not waiting on him. There's no shame in trusting him. But I do want to focus on a couple of things here. Jesus is mentioned as being a cornerstone. What is a cornerstone? It's the first stone that's laid down in a foundation. And the location and the orientation of the cornerstone determines the location and the orientation of the whole building. The cornerstone is the very first part of a building. It's the first stone in the foundation. And the Lord is called a capstone. And what is that? Well, that is the final stone. It's the stone that completes the building. It holds it all together. It locks the structure in place, in a sense. It's the highest point of a building. It also has a meaning now as uh, the crowning achievement for someone. And I would say that is true also of the Lord. He is like a capstone. 
He completes the building. He holds it all together, locks it in place. And he is the crowning achievement, the highest, greatest work that was done among humans. Another thing I want to emphasize as we consider what Peter has written is the fact that we are the church. We don't go to church. We are the church. And of course, in America, in most languages, I think, there's a confusion between the church building and what is really the church. We'll say, I'd like to get him to church. And often we mean, I'd like him to go to a meeting in a particular place. When the Lord looks at his people, he sees the church as the people, the souls of the saved. That's the church. And whether you have a building or don't have a building, that doesn't matter. It doesn't affect the fact that we are the church. We're a, a living temple. And the Lord is building us to be a spiritual household. In the Old Covenant, under the Mosaic Law, there was only one place on the face of the earth where the people of God could go and offer their sacrifices. There was only one temple And that is called in the scriptures, the place that God chose, the place of God's presence on earth. That was in Jerusalem. Under the new covenant, God's temple is located wherever his people are. His people are the temple, the place of God's presence on earth, the place that God has chosen. The people are the living stones that make up God's holy household. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul mentions that Christ himself is the cornerstone. There's a foundation that is made up of apostles and prophets, and Christ himself is the cornerstone. In verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes that in Christ, this chief cornerstone, the whole building is joined together and rises up to become a holy temple in the Lord. So Peter and Paul both use this imagery of the church being a living building, a holy temple, the people of God being built together to become that dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. Christ is the cornerstone. He determines the location. He determines the orientation. And in him, this whole building is joined together. And in Christ, the whole building This living building, this building of living stones, rises up to become a holy temple for the Lord. And in Jesus, too, we're all being set together to become this place in which God lives by his Spirit. We are the living stones in the spiritual building that Jesus himself begins as the cornerstone and that he completes as the capstone. The scriptures say that Christ is the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Given this understanding, what the foundations are of the church, where we are set together as living stones, I want to turn to a couple of things that have been foundational to me personally. These, I would say, are foundational understandings that the Lord has set in my heart And I hope it's encouraging to you. Uh, These are truths that I, um, I can speak about with conviction. So we'll start in Luke chapter 9. 
As they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Well, I'll stop there for a second. Talk about bad branding. (laughs) A man comes up and says to Jesus, I'm going to follow you and I'll go wherever you go. And one might think that Jesus would reply, wonderful, we're glad to have people join us. We're going to make this a good trip for you. You're going to learn a lot, and we're glad to have you. But what does Jesus say? Foxes have holes. He basically tells the man, I'm homeless. If you're willing to go wherever I go, you need to be willing to be homeless. Then Jesus says to another man, he says, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Well, Jesus had called this man, follow me. And the man had something that he wanted to go and do first before he followed Jesus. And Jesus said, basically, no, you let the people of this world take care of the things in this world, but you proclaim the kingdom of God. You do the work of God. Now, I believe this applies today. The Lord may be calling one of you, somebody who's listening to me right now. And the Lord may be saying to you very clearly, follow me right now. And you may be saying, well, I have some things I want to do first before I follow you. But the Lord is saying, no, 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 you follow me now. And another man, this is in verse 61, another man came to Jesus and said, I'll follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. I guess that could happen today as well. Somebody who volunteers to follow Jesus, but then they put other things as a higher priority. And here's what I want to focus on. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, this has been so very, very helpful to me in so many ways. The name of the podcast is Ask for the Ancient Paths. Stand at the crossroads and look. And all through life, we come to points of choosing. Are we going to walk in the ways of God? Are we going to follow our own way? Are we going to wait and discern what the Lord is saying? I've come to quite a few of those transitions in life, big transitions, some of them, and some small ones. And I keep coming back to this understanding that in the kingdom, once I put my hand to the plow and am committed to doing this work that God has called me to, I can't look back. I have to look ahead. If I keep looking back, and not focusing on what is ahead, then I'm not fit for service in the kingdom of God. It's very helpful, figurative language. Of course, Jesus isn't being literal here. He's not talking about people who plow using horses or donkeys or cattle. It's figurative language. It's not literal. And he wants us to be fit for service. I hope that everyone listening to my voice right now will be fit for service. And one of the ways to do that is to not look back. When you have clarity about where the Lord is calling you, don't look back. Always look forward in the kingdom. Now, the scripture says don't look back. Many of you know that I try not even to say back when I'm talking about traveling. It's very easy for me to say when I'm in Russia, I'll go back to America at this time. But God doesn't want me going back to America. He wants me going forward into what he has for me. If you're away from home and you're going to go visit your parents, I encourage you, don't say, I'm going to go back home. God is teaching you things. 
He's giving you gifts and you're growing and you're different now than you were the last time you were with your parents or in a different city, wherever you've left to get to where you are now. Don't go back there. Go forward into what God has for you. Take with you all of the things that God's been teaching you. I was talking to a young man recently. He's in graduate school, and when he goes home, his parents treat him like he's a 15-year-old. And I had that exact same experience, Uh, especially my dear mother. I was in my 30s, and I would visit home, and she would treat me like I was a teenager. At first, I resented being treated like a kid, but I would fall back into those old ways of relating, those old habits. And then the Lord started putting this on my heart. I need to bless my mom and my dad by sharing with them the good things that God has done for me. And if I look back, if I go back, then I'm really not fit for service in the kingdom. I'm not going to serve well. I'll just fall into old habits So it's important that we don't look back in regret or longing for some time that has passed. We can look back in remembrance of the good things that the Lord has done. That sort of remembrance of how God has been faithful can serve as a preparation and an encouragement for moving ahead in the faith. And I believe the Lord is saying don't look back with regret or longing and also Don't look back at your past successes and think that the best is behind you. Look ahead. Now, the scriptures say, sing a new song. The Lord really wants us moving into new things constantly, breaking new ground, moving ahead, growing. So that's one of the foundation stones for me. I've mentioned it pretty often in various conversations in different places when I teach or talk. Don't look back. There's freedom in it. There is true freedom in releasing the past, putting our hand to the plow and moving ahead with the Lord. All right, so the next foundation stone I want to share with you is something that happened to me when I was a young believer. Of course, for me, when I was a young believer, when I was a baby in the faith, I was in my late 20s. And I was at graduate school at the University of Texas in Austin, And there was an open-air preacher named Cliff Connectly who would go to university campuses around the United States. Actually, he was an apologist. He would argue for the truth of the Christian faith. And often the way that he would present this apologetic information is he would talk for a while, usually had a microphone of some sort, and he would share. And then he would have a time of question and answer and let the students who were walking around the campus Those who had gathered to listen to him, he'd let them ask questions. I don't even remember how I came across him. I think I was just walking across campus, and here's this very serious Christian apologist who is taking the truth of the gospel directly into the heart of this campus. And so I stopped and I listened to him talk. It was very impressive. He was so knowledgeable. And after he'd finished sharing what he'd prepared, he had some times of question and answer, and I happened to find myself standing close to him and a student who had some questions for him. He asked Cliff a question, and Cliff said to him, Before I answer you, I just want to ask you, are you a follower of Jesus? And I watched the student kind of react and pull back a little bit because the question shocked him a little bit. And I saw the student think before he answered. And then he said, "Um, No, I'm not. And Cliff said, Okay. 
good, thank you. And then he went on and started answering the question and talking to the student. I don't remember anything else really about specifically what was said then except that question, are you a follower of Jesus? And the student being stopped for a moment, thinking about it and replying to the question, no, I'm not. And as I reflected on that after I went home that day, I realized that if you had asked me when I was 16 years old, are you a Christian? I would have said, yeah, yes, I am. Yeah. I went to church as a kid every Sunday. I'm a part of the youth group. My parents are Christians. I have a Bible at home. Uh, you know, yeah, sure, I'm a Christian, of course. But if somebody had asked me when I was 16, are you a follower of Jesus? That's a very different question. And that would have made me think, just like I saw that student process the question. I think even when I was 25, if you'd said, are you a Christian? I probably would have said, yeah, yeah, sure. Even though I wasn't going to church and didn't really think about Jesus very much. It's very interesting. When I did come to the Lord, when he saved me, set me free, I went and I dug out my old Bible, my childhood Bible that I had, and um, started reading it. And I found all these footnote numbers. Just, they were all through the text, all these little numbers And I kept looking for the footnotes at the end of the Bible or at the bottom of the page, and they just weren't there. It's like, where are all these footnotes? There's all these numbers in the text, but where are the footnotes? And then I realized that those were the verse numbers. (laughs) I had completely forgotten that the Bible had chapters and verses. That's how far away I had gotten from the Word of God. So that's a question. Am I a Christian whatever that means, or am I a follower of Jesus? Jesus called people to follow him. That's why this is related to what I shared earlier. The Lord saying, come, follow me, follow me. And to follow Jesus means to move with him, to let him take the lead, not just to believe at a distance and watch him live his life. It's to enter into life with him and learn from him and follow him. Are you a follower of Jesus? If you were to talk to somebody who's very close to you, that you love dearly, who goes to church, you might ask them this question. Are you a follower of Jesus? If you can work it in in a nice, loving way without sounding too condemning. That's what I liked about the way Cliff spoke with that student. It was a very earnest question. Before I answer your question, I just want to ask you, are you a follower of Jesus? I've heard it said, I've said it, I think, on the podcast, being in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. And I know this is true because I was in a church building many, many, many times, and I wasn't a follower of Jesus. I didn't really even have an understanding of the resurrection of Jesus. When I was a little kid, our church, it was a Methodist church, would sing after the offering was given, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We would sing that as the offering was taken up to the front and set down on the table up there. Everybody would turn. The choir would stand up and turn their backs to us, the congregation, and everybody would face a cross, a big cross that was hanging up on the back wall behind where the choir was. And everybody would face that and sing that song. I had this sense when I was a little kid, I thought, well, Jesus must be buried back there. He must be behind that cross. That's his grave. 
because everybody stands up and they sing to that cross. They face right there. And I thought, well, that's where Jesus is. I didn't really have a sense of the resurrection, a living Lord. There I was in church, but I was not following Jesus. I wasn't a true Christian. So the question comes up then, what does it mean to be a Christian, to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus? Well, what does the Lord say about what it means to be one of his disciples? And here again is something that will be very familiar to you and something that I often quote because a part of what we're to do as Christians is to encourage other people to do what Jesus said, not just believe what Jesus said, but actually to do it, put it into practice. This is in Matthew chapter 16, but it's in Mark and Luke also. The Lord said... And he says this to his disciples, meaning the ones who had already committed to following him. If anyone would come after me, the Lord said, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Well, this is what the Lord says we should do in order to be a follower of his. Deny self, take up our cross, our personal cross, and follow him. So these three things, and I've spoken about it many times, I keep coming back to them. Self-denial is a necessary part of being a disciple of Jesus. And that's why advertising is often leading us away from discipleship. Most advertising is about self-gratification. And the Lord says, if we want to be Christians, true Christians, we must deny self, not take up ourselves. We deny ourselves. The thing we're to take up is a cross, a personal cross, Boy, there's so much that has been said about what that means. At least we can say that a cross is a place of death, and to take up a cross is to carry a cross towards the place of execution. Taking up a cross, whatever it means in whatever context, will necessarily mean suffering, some kind of suffering. It's okay. The Lord said we're going to have trouble in this world. And when Jesus took up his cross, as hard as it was, for the joy that was set before him, he endured that cross. He knew that there was good eternal life after the suffering of the cross. And that is true for you and me. We have to deny ourselves. We have to be willing to suffer in whatever way the Lord allows. And we have to follow him. We have to abide in him. These are other ways that the Lord talks about what it is to be in relationship with him the vine and the branches, to be born again, to have the indwelling spirit, to follow the Lord wherever he leads, however he leads. And I guess I'll end here with what the Lord said immediately after that. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. And this brings to mind, as my closing thought, something that Jim Elliott wrote in his journal. And for those of you who don't know Jim Elliott and four other men were killed in Ecuador back in the 1950s because they were taking the gospel 
to a tribe of people that were murderous. And he wrote something in his journal that now many people have heard. Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Amen, that's good. And I'll say it one last time. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all. Thank you.